peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor. Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission a leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out? side bags and cool stuff talk to under go to skinonskins.com that's s-k-i-n-o-n-s-k-i-n-s.com you just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather go see under everything is handcrafted and understated quality fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs he also does fixes maybe you love that jacket put the zipper back in Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at SkinOnSkins.com. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. 
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Tibo of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs. Admit that the waters above you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving, then you'd better stop swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the time. Times they 
Yeah. 
cigarette that bears a lipstick traces an airline ticket to romantic places and still my heart has wings these foolish things remind me of you a tinkling piano in the next apartment those stumbling words that told you what my I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake Joe, by God, says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I ain't dead, says Joe, but I ain't dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes, Joe says, got to kill went on to organize 
Good morning. <clears throat> On that note, wish you good morning. This is the B, and we're, you're listening to Mutiny Radio. This is the B, and you're listening to Mutiny Radio on the Labor and Love Show. Labor and Love, where we tell you how it is. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Right? If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. <coughs> labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're having a happy Saturday. Hope we can make it a little better for you, too. I want to read a couple of our credos first, and this is something that I've been involved with uh, over the years, which is labor education for kids. And this is what Utah Phillips says about that. <coughs> kids don't have a little brother working in the coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns of the Northeast. Why? Because we organized. We broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. These were not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for. They were bled for. They were died for by working people. By people like us. Kids ought to know that. So Utah says, that's why I sing these songs. No root, no fruit. So that's one of our credos. Immigrants. What about immigrants? 
I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. Without Social Security numbers, they don't get the welfare people claim they get. The majority of them are normal people, the vast majority, trying to live a better life. The whole campaign against immigrants coming into our country is all about dividing the working class. These are workers who want to come here and work. These are workers. People look around and say, oh, oh, they're taking away our jobs, realizing the reason we're all poor is due to the vast income inequality and resource price inflation. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. You're poor because you're not getting paid enough to live. So you're not that into politics? Well, your boss is. Landlord is. Your insurance company is. And every day, they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. That's how that works. It's time to get into politics. And then we've got something here by the late... Lawrence Willie Gay. Pity the nation. Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silent, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Just had one of those people pass away. Rush Limbaugh, how much harm do a person like Rush Limbaugh do? Pardon me. Pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero and aims to rule the world by force and by torture. Pity the nation that knows no other language but its own and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleep the sleep of the too well fed. Pity the nation, oh pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty. Poem by the great Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Okay. Start out with our radio labor feature, news from all over the world about working people and their struggles. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, March 5th, 2021. I'm Mark Belanger. 
In the report this week, preparing for International Women's Day, how profit-making hurts care workers, the Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. The international labor movement is preparing actions for 2021's International Women's Day on March 8th. One of the organizations helping unions prepare for the day is the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC represents national union centers such as the Ghana Trades Union Congress and the AFL-CIO in the United States. The General Secretary of the ITUC is Sharon Burrow. As we plan for International Women's Day, Sisters and brothers, we have to recognise that before COVID-19, we were facing inequality. Indeed, on every indicator, progress for women had stalled. Jobs, wages, social protection, security. But COVID-19 exposed those deficiencies, exposed the discrimination in our world. When you looked at the frontline workers in health, in care, in services. These workers, predominantly women, went to work every day to save lives, to protect us. Yet they, of course, are amongst the lowest paid. But our governments have failed to do anything about that. We also know that the impact of COVID-19 has been dramatically uh, increased for women. And even now, as governments will tell you, that unemployment isn't so bad. That's not the reality. Many women have given up looking for jobs. Our global poll shows that 27% of people, even in G20 countries, the wealthiest countries, have lost jobs. And indeed, 40%, almost 50% indeed, have lost hours of work. This is the reality for women, and many of them have given up. So for International Women's Day, we want jobs, jobs and jobs, invest in care, good jobs, but also so women can participate in the broader economy. Make sure there are rights and indeed freedom from violence. Convention 190, fight for it to be ratified and put in law so women can live freely without violence, knowing they have fundamental rights, a minimum living wage, occupational health and safety and control over their working hours, whatever their employment arrangements. And let's see that we end discrimination everywhere with an inclusive future, whether it's inequality of wages, race or gender, that we eliminate those areas of systemic exclusion in our societies. In the United States of America, since the pandemic began, in average, four long-term workers die a day. And that's just in the United States. That is Adrian Docci, the head of Uni Global Union's care division. Uni represents more than 20 million workers in 150 countries employed in skills and services, the world's fastest-growing sectors. They include workers employed in long-term and aged care facilities. To find out how its members are coping during the pandemic and what solutions can be found for the problems they are experiencing, Uni conducted a comprehensive survey. I asked Mr. Doce what countries were included in Uni's survey. 
we looked into five English-speaking countries. It was the United States of America, Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, and Ireland. What are some of the recommendations that came out of the UNI survey? One of the strongest recommendations to start with is we need to improve the working conditions for the long-term care workers. They need to be able to have full-time jobs with a decent living wage so that they don't need to work in multiple care facilities and that they can make a living. We need to increase specifically the staff-to-resident ratios. They need to be on a good level, on a safe staffing level. Then it's important that every care worker has access to sick leave, sick pay, and specifically because of the amount of infections with COVID-19, it needs to be recognized COVID-19 as occupational disease but they have access to workers' compensation. We also, it's important that there is uh, improvement in training for the care workers and that health and safety is on the forefront, that it cannot be that there are these dangerous workplaces. So we need more health and safety representatives from the union and health and safety committees. And of course, is the need for enough PPE and if it comes to vaccine care workers needs to be prioritized and we think a mix of all of this is the only way to make it happen but maybe the most important is workers in long-term care need to have a collective voice they need to have a union because one thing which you also see is and some studies have proven it if there is a union in the workplace, the outcome, meaning less people sick, is better. So a union here actually really saves lives. You mentioned unions. How can unions help long-term and elder care workers? First of all, if there is a union, it's better for workers and it's better for the residents. That means organize, organize, organize. There are still two less long-term care workers organized all over the world and we the unions need to change that there are millions of millions more care workers which we need for our long-term care age care system and we as the unions need to see that as a chance we need to organize them because that's the only way that they have a collective voice and then as unions let's go which questions can we answer together with the organized workers it's about increasing the working conditions through collective bargaining. It's about having a voice in the health and safety decision-making. It's about getting better training because the better working conditions are also better living conditions for the residents. And unions should fight for a better system, which includes more public investment into the long-term care system. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of their work. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the global labor movement's efforts to force the release of recently imprisoned trade unionists in Hong Kong, 
Belarus and Myanmar. We also carried news of the positive impact the new administration in the USA is having on U.S. labor and the fallout from the national general strike in South Africa at the end of February. The emerging and continuing trend in our news coverage this week is the unveiling of trade union programs for a post-pandemic economic recovery. This trend is clear at the national level, and last week we had many examples of trade unions pushing national and regional governments in the right direction. This week we saw evidence that the global union federations and the international trade union confederation are wading in as well with transnational proposals for a just recovery. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news, lots of news, about preparations for International Women's Day by trade unions around the world. Despite the pandemic in many countries, women workers are mobilizing for national stay-at-home strikes. One example of this is Spain, where trade unions have a long history of organizing general strikes on International Women's Day to demand gender equality and an end to femicide and other forms of gender violence. In other countries, online events are replacing mass meetings and conferences. Next week, look for our coverage of eight March events from around the world as they happen. In other news about women workers, South Africa's Domestic Workers Union has slammed a pitiful increase to the minimum wage. We also carried the news that three women media workers were killed in Afghanistan last week. These workers were targeted not just because they were journalists, but specifically because they were women journalists. Three more reasons we did not need to encourage us all to join the struggle against gender violence. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards magazine carried stories about the horrendous safety problems in the South African steel industry, Dutch sex workers demanding the right to resume work, and why health and safety is a key issue for the workers organizing at an Amazon warehouse in the United States. Our photo of the week is of one of many demonstrations that took place across Portugal at the end of February in a national day of action for a just and people-centered pandemic recovery. Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include urgent appeals for online solidarity with workers engaged in important struggles in nine countries around the world. Sending a protest or a solidarity message takes only a few seconds and can make a real difference to the affected workers. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Union Nation with A Woman's Place.
A Woman's Place by Union Nation is a production of the International Association of Machinists, the IAM. And that's it, International Labor News. Looking now for a new Solidarity Forever version. Not having any luck. The nurse's lullaby. Can't get that either. So let's play something by Hazel Dickens. Today, as you might notice, playing all women. And um, <coughs> this is uh, from Hazel Dickens. Hazel Dickens is a <coughs> folk singer from West Virginia.
his tools every day he gets richer i get poor somehow making a living by the sweat of my man's tools every day he gets richer i get poor somehow making a living by the sweat of my brow kids go to parties wear fine clothes while mine wear mail order clothes that are paid for on time i've worked hard stayed on This bug right here. Stumbled to the kitchen for myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping out on the streets. The traffic starts jumping with folks like me on the job from nine to five. Working nine to five. What a way to make a living. Barely getting by. It's all taking and no giving. They just use your mind. Step on the boss man's ladder, but you got dreams. 
this is no simple reform. It really is a revolution. Sex and race, because they are easy, visible differences, have been the primary ways of organizing human beings into superior and inferior groups and into the cheap labor on which this system still depends. We are talking about a society in which there will be no roles other than those chosen or those earned. We are really talking about humanism. Okay, that was a long set. <clears throat> International Women's Day is March 8th. And uh, <clears throat> the uh, holiday originated, uh, among other places, in Germany in the year 1914 as uh, women were agitating for the right to vote all over the world, actually. And uh, the idea just caught on. March 8th, International Women's Day. Honor the women in your life. The people who give you life. Okay. We had uh, a woman's place is in her union at the end of our uh, radio labor piece. We had Hazel Dickens from West Virginia <coughs> singing about uh, how she works so hard, but she's get getting poorer and her boss is getting richer. And Dolly Parton next echoing that. Seems that all I do is put money in his wallet. And of course, women uh, organizers can get up and talk till they're blue in the face or red in the face or whatever in the face. About these things, and people will listen, and people will hear it, people will think about it. But when an artist like Go uh, Dolly Parton makes a nine-to-five song and has some pretty radical comments in there about the inequities of uh, wage jobs, catches on. People sing it. Number one all-time uh, country and western song. It replaced uh, Stand By Your Man by Tammy Wynette. Um, and then a comment right at the end there by Gloria Steinem talking about the tyranny of gender roles and how uh, in the future this is part of a revolution that will wipe those apart and how labor has been organized historically um, to benefit men, to put men in, in uh, power positions and women subservient to them. Okay, so this is the B, and we're almost right at the top of our... Uh, almost right at the top of our hour here. Um, I ran across this in, <coughs> in these times, and it's, uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, stimulus payments and uh, income. 
you know, giving giving out money so people can survive when they don't have jobs. The whole idea of unemployment is based on the need of uh, bosses and managers and CEOs to have a ready a ready labor supply. Okay, and unemployment means that you don't, in this society, it means, in effect, you're not going to survive. If you're unemployed, you're not going to survive. You're going to have to go to ask for help from someone, try to get help, and the whole thing has got a sort of a negative cast to it. You can't hold a job. What's wrong with you? The whole idea that you're your health and your subsistence and those those of your children, your family, are based on having a job. Uh, anyway, so this is an idea, the, the federal job guarantee. And they, uh, Representative Ayanna Presley I believe, not sure. As left-wing economic policy proposals go, a federal job guarantee has never quite reached primetime status, despite the fact that the underlying idea has been around since 1944 when President Franklin Roosevelt proposed it as part of his Economic Bill of Rights. Now, with Democrats in control of the federal government, and as the nation tries to emerge from the economic devastation of the pandemic, oy, we're in a big hurry to do that. Editorial comment. I think we're rushing back into this too soon. And it's bottom line, of course, is that money talks. Money and the need for people to earn money and the need for people to profit and get rich <coughs> from those people outweighs our lives. I mean, it's going to come down to how many children get sick and die. Uh, we'll see a little more on that uh, in a bit about the San Francisco Unified School District's uh, recent contract. Anyway, Ayanna Presley, Democrat of Massachusetts and a progressive coalition is attempting to push a job guarantee into the political mainstream. Two weeks ago, Presley introduced a resolution in Congress calling on the federal government to create a job guarantee program run through the Labor Department that would provide a job to anyone who wants one. The fact that she introduced a resolution rather than a bill is a sign that this is just the beginning of a long process. And of course, um, conservatives jump on the idea and say that um, well, you know, you're going to get stuck in it. You might not be able to get out of it. Um, it takes away the incentive to do a good job. All kinds of arguments they have. The 
theory, of course, is that if you give out money or and uh, give out benefits to rich people, they'll use them responsibly. But the poor, the workers, will always look for ways to beat the game. The rich have already found it, and they don't want to share it, I guess. Let's see. Here's a little comment on the idea by Sarah Nelson. If you do a job guarantee correctly and you build in certain requirements, you're setting a standard. It's a little bit like having a minimum wage. You've got to lift the floor to raise the roof. You don't want to have to be competing with the absolute lowest standard of work. Sarah Nelson, head of the Association of Flight Attendants. Many unions spend time and effort fighting for diversity and against discrimination in the workplace. But Nelson points out that Presley's policy could stamp much of this discrimination in one fell swoop. If you have an assumed rate of unemployment, that means you're not selecting people for certain jobs, and that gives room for discrimination, Nelson says. A policy eliminating that accepted unemployment rate doesn't give any space for discrimination. Nelson also points out that the federal job guarantee could be another way to achieve some of the provisions of the PRO Act a bill that would radically improve America's current labor laws and is a top priority of unions, which is unlikely to pass in Congress unless the filibuster is done away with. The prospect of using a job guarantee to raise labor standards that have languished for decades could be an attractive incentive for organized labor to flock to the issue profile goes. And of course the question when something like this comes up that will benefit workers, the first question of course is how do you pay for it? Now we have a trillion, a trillion dollar defense budget. Nobody would dare say, how do we pay for it? Okay. We're having all that talk about $50,000 per job. All right, let's play some jazz. Take a little break. See you back on the other side.
stop far-right extremists in the United States besides not electing them to office or launching Ted Cruz into space? Eh? Anyone? Now that we know the threat to American safety isn't Muslims, but those who are probably screaming about Muslims on Facebook, many are calling for a renewed so-called war on terror, which is rude because we haven't finished our last one yet, okay? Way to be greedy. I'm Francesca Fiorentini, and now that we know that the call is coming from inside the House of Representatives, we're looking at how America can finally learn from its past mistakes and get smarter about rooting out extremist violence. White racist violence has existed since America's founding. It's pretty much the story of it. And after years of terrorizing black and indigenous people, immigrants, women, synagogue and mosque worshipers, and the American flag, on January 6th, it stormed the halls of power. But of course, like any ghoul, it cannot enter without first being invited. And it's been clear for years that unlike what the right would have you believe, it's white radicalization that's the greatest danger in this country. The biggest terrorist threat here in the U.S., here in the homeland, is what we would call sort of homegrown violent extremists. I just love describing them as homegrown. What, did we start a white nationalist microbrewery in our garage? Mmm, you can really taste the cops. I mean, hops. And yet, fittingly, Trump ignored threats and defunded the Department of Homeland Security's efforts to stop homegrown extremism, instead diverting the same funds to stopping homegrown marijuana, which Makes sense, because if there's one person that's never been high, it's William Barr. What would that even look like? Have you ever synced Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon to Birth of a Nation? Pretty. Of course, it's not surprising Trump wouldn't want to root out violent white supremacists within his base. He might not have a base left if he did that. But it is surprising that the man who Trump launched his political career by attacking would also not take the threat seriously, especially when his very ascendancy as the first black man in the Oval Office fueled so much radicalization. Instead, in 2009, the Obama administration, under pressure from an increasingly reactionary Republican Party, dismantled the extremism and radicalization branch of DHS after it produced a report about the dangers of far-right anti-government activity. A former DHS worker, Daryl Johnson, explains what happened. The department decided to not only stop all of our work, stop all of the training and briefings that we were scheduled to give, but they also disbanded the unit, reassigned us to other areas within the office, and then made life increasingly difficult for us. Ah, the Obama years. Back when we naively thought that the best way to stop white nationalism was to just give them everything they wanted, like some sort of amateur lion tamer. Let me be clear. I let it nibble on my hand so it won't eat my whole body. The buck has been passed so much from administration to administration that January 6th was certainly not a surprise. It was also not a surprise that there was law enforcement among the rioters themselves. Of the 150 people arrested thus far, 14% are current or former military, which according to former FBI agent Michael German, checks out. It has been a persistent problem uh, that law enforcement, including the FBI and Department of Justice, have long acknowledged, <clears throat> and in fact, even in their 2015 counterterrorism policy guide, directed agents to alter their methodologies in cases, uh, domestic terrorism cases against white supremacists and far-right militants, because they found that the subjects of these investigations often have links 
to law enforcement. Wait, so you're telling me that some of those that work forces are in fact the same that burn crosses? Big if true. Take the group The Oath Keepers, one of the many that took part in the Capitol riots. Two-thirds of its members have a background in the military or law enforcement, and 10% are active duty. The very name Oath Keepers comes from the oath that members of the military take to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Yikes! Talk about being caught in a prison of your own making. I'm sure after January 6th, they're all home beating the shit out of themselves. So what have U.S. security agencies been doing this entire time far-right extremism was gaining steam, even within some of their ranks? Shock and anger pulsed through the crowd after discovering their mosque was targeted by the NYPD, recording their license plates, photographing worshippers. The NYPD's assistant chief has admitted in court that none of its monitoring led to a single terrorism lead or investigation. Obama said he will send an additional 30,000 troops to Afghanistan over the next six months. At least seven Americans have been killed by U.S. drone strikes. And the most famous example, radical cleric Amwar al-Awlaki. The fourth, Awlaki's 16-year-old son killed just two weeks after his father. Ahmed Mohammed brought the clock to his high school in Irving, Texas on Monday to try to impress his teacher. But instead of praise, the teacher was frightened that the clock might be a bomb. Michelle Catalano uh, had a uh, search for pressure cookers. She was going to cook something up. And her husband has searched for a backpack. They got a knock on the door from six people in the Joint Ter Terrorism Task Force. And they got pulled in and they started asking them questions. Do you own a pressure cooker? My husband said no, but we have a rice cooker. <laughs> Can you make a bomb with that? My husband said no. My wife uses it to make... Quinoa. <laughs> Thank you. Quinoa. <laughs> what the hell is quinoa, they asked? Okay, but everyone knows what quinoa is, especially after that episode of 24. You've got five seconds to tell me what quinoa is. Where are the grains? The U.S. counterterrorism strategy has been myopically focused on Al-Qaeda and ISIS and put Muslims and Muslim countries in the crosshairs with two ground wars, drone strikes, killing of innocent civilians, including Americans, torture, lawless imprisonment at Guantanamo, warrantless wiretapping, and the massive surveillance and demonization of the American Muslim community. Not only has all that not worked, but the blowback has arguably been worse. Things like creating a breeding ground for groups like ISIS in Iraq, Plus, the FBI has relied on some incredibly questionable tactics, like entrapment operations that actually create the crimes they're supposedly stopping. Just listen to author Trevor Aronson of Terror Factory explain how the FBI cultivated its own suspects. Many of the men that are being prosecuted for committing an act of terrorism or conspiracy to commit an act of terrorism are like Mohammed Mohammed. They aspired to commit some sort of act of terrorism. They said hateful and odious things. But on their own, they never had the capacity to commit an act of terrorism. It was the FBI informant or it was the FBI undercover agent who provided the bomb and all of the logistical means they needed to commit their crime. I don't know if you can congratulate yourself on catching so-called terrorists that you devoted millions of dollars, man-hours, and undercover agents into convincing to do terrorism. It's like when a magician wants applause for putting the woman back together. You sawed her in half, buddy. You're not the hero. Meanwhile, they were missing tips on actual attacks. And yet the people who are committing the, the, the real offenses, the real acts of terrorism, the, you know, Tamalin Zainayevs or Faisal Shahzad, who, the Faisal Shahzad who, who delivered a bomb to Times Square that fortunately didn't go off, the really dangerous guys aren't being trapped in these sting operations, in part because, in a way, they're not dumb enough to go into the local mosque or into the community and talk to an informant about how they want to commit an act of terrorism. 
The FBI has been narrow casting to only the dumbest people. Not every extremist will be fooled into joining your Al-Qaeda Crimes Club Facebook group. That only works on white extremists. But even with 20 years of blowback, the loss of innocent lives, trampling of civil liberties, there are still those who believe that we should use the war on terror framework to go after white extremist violence. Even just the language that's being used is telling. We cannot allow these domestic terrorists and these enemy combatants to win. When people stand up against the evildoers, people always win. And I'd say to the Democrats, it's time to roll out a terrorism era choice for, for Republicans. And this should come from every Democrat. You're either with them or with us. Enemy combatants, evildoers, with us or against us, all of this is the same bogus language used during the war on terror. We're just missing someone claiming that they're jealous of our freedoms and that their women need to be freed of their patriarchal role sewing Q flags. On a gut level, it is deeply satisfying to finally hear white extremism being treated in the same manner that far too many black, brown, and Muslim Americans have been treated for decades. It's like affirmative action for the war on terror. But if we actually want to win this war on white extremism, why use strategies that have failed? And worse yet, have led to more extremism. It's chilling to think about what the blowback might be, especially since white extremists are already using ISIS tactics, like running cars into crowds. Beyond the failure, the war on terror and all of the propaganda around it is deeply racist and militaristic. And it's indoctrinated American society into an if-you-see-something-say-something something psychology, effectively asking us all to be self-deputized G-men, sniffing out the sleeper cell in our midst. So it's no surprise that 20 years later, and enough Claire Danes ugly crying, we have white extremist militias, many of them former military, who see immigrants and Muslims as the enemy. What did we think was going to happen? Did we think that all the racists were just collecting guns to use in a big art installation that depicts people of the world holding hands, but all those people are made of guns? That's awesome, but racists hate art. So what should we be doing from a security standpoint? The Biden administration has hired a war on terror veteran who seems serious about domestic threats, and the Senate is looking to pass a Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act, which would create three new offices within DOJ, DHS, and the FBI. But too often, new terrorism laws risk further endangering communities that have always been in the crosshairs of the security state. History shows that having anti-terrorism laws just affects people like myself. We don't need new laws to deal with white terrorists. The laws are there, whether you want to apply it to certain people or not. Yeah, and that also happens to be experts' opinions as well. Law enforcement has all the authority they need. Obviously, there's no type of violence that's legal. Um, so, so they have all the authority they need. They just need to direct the Justice Department and the FBI to prioritize the investigation of white supremacist and far-right violence. This isn't hard because most of it has been in public over the last four years. So many of the people who were at the Capitol uh, were actually committing violence in cities across the United States. Yeah, you don't need new laws or elaborate schemes to make arrests. You pretty much just need a Facebook account and a weird uncle no one talks to anymore. Because if there's one thing these people love to do, it's telling on themselves. When it comes to white extremism and law enforcement itself, it turns out that doing what the Black Lives Matter movement has called for, which is basic tracking of officers' brutality and racial bias and enacting consequences for it, works. Not doing that ensures that white nationalists remain in law enforcement. When there is an incident uh, of alleged police brutality, the, the law enforcement, the FBI will often investigate that very narrowly. 
much the way they do hate crimes. Are we able to prove that there is some kind of bias or, or uh, intention to violate civil rights in this case, rather than looking comprehensively at, at that police officer's past to know whether that bias could be proven by other means. Mm -hmm. And then those cases are sent to Justice Department prosecutors, and the vast majority of them are declined for prosecution. The vast majority are declined for prosecution. Amazing how it's all connected, almost like it's some kind of system of racism, system racism, systemic racism. Oh my God. There are also organizations that work with people who are either being swept into or trying to leave the white nationalist movement, like Life After Hate, which was receiving a grant from DHS, of course, until Trump assumed office. Life After Hate has built a successful model that combines our unique experiences, professional training, and evidence-based practices. This in-person training empowers local professionals, law enforcement, mental health, and social services to recognize emerging threats within their community and to effectively engage with that person or group. Money for that kind of training should be reinstated twofold. I want my tax dollars going there and not to the war in Afghanistan. Can I just write that on a check? Don't spend it all on one war. <laughs> this isn't about going easy on extremists because they're white. The system already does that. This is about better utilizing the tools we already have, learning from our country's past mistakes, and preventing the most vulnerable from being further victimized. It's about seeing white supremacy as a question of security, but also education, media literacy, the internet, and most importantly, democracy. Because the right is openly calling a democratic election tyranny on top of years of grooming its base toward violence. And as long as the Republican Party sees a mob beating a police officer to death with an American flag and thinks, ooh, voters, then we will never be safe. What I'm trying to say is we might still need to launch Ted Cruz. I'm just kidding. This is ground control to Major Cruz. We do not miss your face. <laughs> Thanks for watching News Broke, everybody. This is our last episode for the next little while, but please subscribe to AJ Plus and get all the good content that is coming your way. And if you want more from me, I've got a podcast called The Big Creation. was uh, Francesca Fiorentini <clears throat> with her commentary, in this case, how not to get rid of white extremists. Labor History in Two. Every week we bring you three episodes of Labor History in Two Minutes from the... Uh, Website, Labor History in Two Minutes. Mismanagement Killing an Airline, March 4th. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1989. That was the day machinists struck at Eastern Airlines. After bankrupting Continental Airlines to void union contracts there, the much-hated Frank Lorenzo hoped for a repeat at Eastern Airlines. Lorenzo bought Eastern with junk bonds and then bled the airline's profits dry to finance the debt of his holding company, Texas Air. 
12,000 jobs were lost at Eastern in just two years under Lorenzo's leadership. Machinists had every reason to believe that wages would be cut in half in the next contract. In the weeks building up to the strike, management made its union busting clear by firing dozens of shop stewards at airports across the country. Machinists walked out at Miami Airport a month earlier over forced overtime. Nationwide, many complained that they were forced to work anywhere between 24 and 36 hours straight. Five days into the strike, Lorenzo filed for bankruptcy. Picket lines were solid and the strike was popular. Many trade unionists joined the picket lines in support. The strike against Eastern symbolized a fight to take back everything lost during the Reagan years. The Airline Pilots Association and the flight attendants organized by TWU voted to walk out in solidarity. They stayed out for more than eight months with the striking machinists. But when the pilots and flight attendants went back to work, it left the machinists isolated. Many argued that with contracts expiring at many airlines soon after the walkout, an industry-wide strike could only bolster chances for the machinists at Eastern to win. But by early 1991, the strike had become a devastating loss. Eastern ceased operations altogether in January, and its assets were liquidated. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1972. That was the day auto workers at GM's Chevy Vega plant in Lordstown, Ohio, walked out on strike. The strike lasted for 18 days. The issues that fueled it were reminiscent of the sit-downs and wildcats that built the UAW in the 30s and 40s. Workers at Lordstown wanted greater control over the production process. The young, integrated workforce of the 1960s social protest era was fed up with long days, forced overtime, increased automation, and dangerous speed-up on the assembly line. Long-standing grievances numbered in the thousands, and disciplinary firings were common. Absenteeism was rampant, morale was so low that cars left the assembly line incomplete or vandalized. By the time the strike ended, many felt it was called simply to allow workers to blow off steam. There was no real change in the production process, but jobs eliminated in the 1970 contract were restored, and some 1,400 disciplinary layoffs were dropped. The worker malaise suffered there came to be known as the Lordstown Syndrome. In his book, Staying Alive, the 1970s and the Last Days of the Working Class, Jefferson Cowie notes that the strike compelled the Senate to hold hearings on alienation at work. Its committee produced the report, Work in America. This report confirmed many workers at all occupational levels feel locked in. Their mobility blocked, the opportunity to grow lacking in their jobs, challenge missing from their tasks. Cowie concludes that the strike and report initiated the quality of work-life movement that sought to redesign work, introduce automation differently, and invest in human relations strategies, most of which continued to empower management, not workers, albeit with a gentler hand.
I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1930. That was the day hundreds of thousands of activists and unemployed poured into the streets worldwide for International Unemployed Day. It was a coordinated campaign to protest conditions created by the stock market crash just four months earlier. Workers and the poor were the first to feel the most devastating impacts of what would quickly become the Great Depression. Organized primarily by communists, the day's actions highlighted the work of the newly formed unemployed councils and had mass appeal. The unemployed councils worked to distribute food, prevent evictions, secure utilities, and link the needs of the unemployed to the trade unions. The councils mobilized the unemployed in support during the strikes as a way to stop scabbing. They organized hunger marches and protests at relief offices. Tens of thousands came out in every city for the Unemployed Day demonstrations. In North America, cities like Boston, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Seattle, and San Francisco all drew massive crowds estimated at 40 to 50,000 each. Protesters demanded jobs and unemployment insurance. In Chicago, tens of thousands overwhelmed the streets for more than 12 hours. In Detroit and New York City, competing organizers challenged the crowd estimates with as many as 100,000 turning out in each city. Confrontations broke out between protesters and the police in both cities. Across the country, many of the unemployed were arrested or hospitalized. In New York City, outraged communist activists asserted that protesters were met with water hoses, tear gas, and guns as they marched down Broadway to City Hall. Critics argued that the crowd estimates were wildly exaggerated. But the day of action forced governments around the world to acknowledge deteriorating conditions and the devastating impacts of the Great Depression. Um, labor history in two. couple comments I would have. The Lordstown Syndrome. Uh, the 60s and 70s actions in Lordstown around the auto plant. Brought to the fore the problem of worker alienation. Okay. The fact that you have a job fact that you can make enough money to earn to support your family and yourself that's one thing but that's not all there is there's uh, what we're talking about here is life these are these are times of our lives that that we put into work and these workers were protesting the fact that their work was killing them their work was uh, boring and meaningless and unvarying. So uh, that's one thing. There's a lot of talk in the 60s and 70s about alienation. And of course, Karl Marx writes about alienation in uh, his, his uh, work, especially his early work, the... Uh, Economic and Philosophical Manuscripts of 1844. And the other thing was International Unemployed Day. Okay, we we look back to the to the New Deal and talk about the reforms that were uh, involved in the New Deal. 
but sometimes we forget, and uh, some people always forget, that these things came about because of these rallies and quote-unquote riots and parades and uh, campaigns. International Unemployed Day, March 6th, that's today. So unemployment is, uh, listening to Richard Wolf. unemployment is uh, not necessary. It's not necessary. The, the fact that, you know, you're out of work and you can't make enough money, you take it on yourself. You take that, you know, in, in a way <coughs> people say, oh, it's my fault. Okay, no, it's not your fault. It's built into the system. And if you're in the system as a worker, it could always happen to you. We've got people now who are getting in food lines. Never had to do that before. They, they were always the people who were handing out the food. So, it all works together, see? It all works together. Study your labor history. And we're waiting for our... Uh, our... Uh, want to play this song. Uh, Billie Holiday has been in the news because there's a new film out about how the uh, U.S. government targeted uh, Billie Holiday, considered her a dangerous radical, and uh, all because of this song. Celebrated song. And of course, people want Especially for me, strange fruit. Southern trees, they're strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene 
of the gallant South, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth, scent of magnolia, sweet and fresh. Then the sudden smell. Estoy pidiendo joyas Mi piel es mi palacio Ni quiero que me alfombren Las calles al pasar Tampoco es que yo exija 
tierras ni riquezas las que está recibiendo me gusta regalar tan solo estoy pidiendo Te quiero, quiere llorona, que yo la muerte reciba. Si porque te quiero, quiere llorona, que yo la muerte reciba. Llorona, llorona, 
is Labor and Love Radio. We had La Llorona by uh, Leela Downs singing uh, about the female spirit that haunts the night looking for her kids. People at the border who are looking for their kids. Your kids? Oh yeah, we took them away from you but uh, now we don't know where they are. Sorry. Sorry, next. Happy Women's Day to you, to all the women out there listening, and to all the men and males listening. Do something for the women in your life. And this is what you can do. 
one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. table where you work, negotiating table, you're on the menu. minds and our very DNA for what they evolved to do to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buxton Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought or two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your joke, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radio. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radio. Yahoo! Let's watch all 
I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube. We watch the best movies that, uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch Francisco, what are you doing this week? Come join Mutiny Radio Presents for four different comedy shows supporting local businesses in the Mission District and beyond. On Sunday, join us in the Tenderloin at Resolute Wine Bar, 678 Geary, for Barrel of Laughs at Resolute, an amazing comedy show with the best wines curated by Resolute. On Wednesdays, join us at Asiento at and 21st and Bryant for dinner and a show at Asiento. Delicious tapas, incredible drinks, hilarious comedy Wednesday nights at 7.30. On Fridays at 7 o'clock, join us outside MutinyRadio.fm here at 21st and Florida, 7 o'clock for outdoor comedy, socially distanced in the street. And Saturdays, join us at Atlas Cafe SF at 20th in Alabama for Titans of Comedy every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Hey, keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio. St. Valentine's Day Mascara streaming live on Facebook Sunday, February 14th 11 a.m. An international affair hosted by Ms. Noir. Do Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's Day Mascara. 14th of February 2021. 11 a.m. PST. Facebook Live. A date for everyone. Hosted by Ms. Noir. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country, as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent 
who sits in her back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor. Skins, the local mission leather working shop, all original pieces handcrafted for you jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed, you want it in cool leather, under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out with side bags and cool stuff. Talk to Under. Go to skinonskins.com. That's S-K-I-N-O-N-S-K-I-N-S.com. You just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather? Go see Under. Everything is handcrafted and understated quality. Fine leather, crafted goods for all of your needs. Fixes. Love that jacket? Put the zipper back. Talk to Under. Skins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at skinonskins.com. LSD FAP. Acid and fapping, fapping and acid. Acid and fapping, fapping and acid. Fap, 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 acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping. What is flat black plastic? What could it be? It's exactly what you think it is. Flat. Black. Plastic. Vinyl. Records. Round. Played. Mixed. All for you every Saturday from noon to two by Scotto Walker. Amazing artist. Music DJ. Vinyl enthusiast. That is flat black plastic. This is Tuchel Metals with Mutiny Radio. Big up to the number one station, the ruling nation. Give it to me every time. Ah! My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, 